0: Oh, <laughs> good afternoon, I'm Leon Davis, and you are tuned in to Altitude Adjustment, uh, the weekly program that covers people, politics, and professions, and we've got a really special show going on today, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, so I am moving, I am getting a new, a new place for our studio, uh, and so next week's show will be the last show for about four, three to four weeks. Uh, next week being the 15th, so, I'm sorry, next week being the 22nd. Uh, so the 29th, the 5th, the 12th, and the 19th of September, there may not uh, be a show. Um, so, but we do appreciate you supporting us at this particular point. Coming up today, we're going to talk to a, an accomplished, uh, published author, and a very good guy and um, i'll introduce him in just a second um, to, uh, i do want to let you know that this program is intended for mature audiences only now altitude adjustment may contain language images or other content that some may find offensive or uh, and your discretion is advised Welcome to Altitude Altitude. Adjustment.
1: Am I still on camera? Yep, you're still here.
0: So we are back uh, with our usual uh, crew, myself, Leonard, and Warren. And my guest today is a very special guy, Jason Vassar Elong. And um, there's something unique about that, uh, about the name, and and we'll get to that in a minute but I wanna tell you uh, a little bit about Jason. Now, uh, so Jason said, you sent me a bio and it started out, Rhyme and Reason. Uh, is that, is that a, uh, an article? Or...
2: That was, well, first of all, uh, thank you, Leon, for having me on the show. I really appreciate you. Um, that was my ethnographic research. I studied anthropology at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. And um, Rhyme and Reason: Poetics and Societal Dialogue was my uh, my bachelor's thesis, Hmm. which looked at how spoken poetry uh, was a continuation of oral traditions that existed in West Africa and elsewhere.
0: Oh, excellent! Okay, and you got a Master's of Fine Arts in from the University of Saint Louis, University of Missouri, Saint Louis, and and it it definitely came through in your poetry, Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I tried to I tried to read it and and some of it I felt like um that I that I wanted you there to explain it to me because I'm I'm used to I'm accustomed to poetry looking in a certain way. I'm not a, a a big poetry person. And I try to um so most of the poetry that I'm familiar with is prose at um, the second and fourth bars at least um Phonetically or, or sound-wise, uh, rhyme, and your poetry is a, a, a bit different, and so it, it took me a little bit of reading, and my, my, my brother actually had to help me um, to grab a little bit of it, and, and and I've got some real questions, you know, coming up. Um, you're also you're also published in the let me see, University of Chicago Press.
2: Yeah, my debut collection, of Poetry Shrimp, um, was actually published by a, um, a small press out of New York. It's a Black-owned business owned by Gabrielle David, and um, she got a distribution contract with the University of Chicago shortly after I was published in 2018, and so not just my book, but all of the books that she's now publishing uh, now get the added benefit of being distributed by the University of Chicago.
0: Okay. And then, and then you were um, also featured in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch.
2: Yes. Yes, I was.
0: Was that from the same, the same uh, set of poetry? Well,
2: it's in relation, it's in relation to, yeah. Um, I've been publishing the St. Louis Post-Dispatch over a number of years, actually. Uh, Shortly after the the killing of Mike Brown, um, I was in articles and, um, actually wrote some things that were published in the stimulus post dispatch. So off and on over the past six years or so, I've, I've appeared in the stimulus post dispatch. And just recently I was in the uh, stimulus American as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Now there's, um, treading the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. That was published. Uh, that was a special edition of the Canadian journal of Northlandic studies. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: So again, my background is in anthropology. And um, that was a peer-reviewed essay uh, that was published in the Canadian Journal for Netherlandic Studies. Um, they were doing a, um, a conference back in 2000 and I believe it was 16. But they were looking about, they were looking to to find work that um, talked about identity um, being in, in a Dutch sort of, Um, Context And so my last name Vassar is Dutch. And so um, I wanted to do a a bit of ethnographic research on how other Vassars of color felt about their surnames being Dutch. And so um, I used LinkedIn, um, above all things, and uh, found a few Vassars to talk to, and just we discussed how uh, we felt about our names being Dutch. And so that essay was the end result of of that research.
0: So, uh, I mean, just of quickly, so were these vasters related to you?
2: We're still trying to figure that out. Um, they were related to one another, uh, the, both father and daughter, uh, but they both had different experiences um, in the world. Um, of course, we all do. As people of color, we all have our own individual walks. Um, and so the three of us really just sat down and discussed what that looked like for us.
0: Very good, very good. Okay, so so this, um, as I said, uh, this book of poetry, um, it's it's designed in such a way that you um, use actual, you actually use white space as a part of your storytelling. Mm-hmm. So so I there was there were some poems and and that that was part of. You know, the challenge that I had um, is that you could you would have one word on one line and then three words on another line. And then there would be Mm -hmm. these huge uh, spaces in between words Mm -hmm. on a third line. Mm -hmm. And and I was so I was trying to understand how that played into the, the actual poem.
2: Oh, of course. That's one of my favorite poems in my collection. That's entitled Reason. And so Reason actually is in is written in um, plain with form. The poem itself is built like the continent of Africa. And so um, if you look at Reason, the poem itself, and I'll, I'll read it for you in just a moment here. Um, and again, it's, it's meant to mimic the continent of Africa. And so it appears on page nine of my book, it goes, I knew my name where I lived, but not who I was or where I was from. And so um, for me, that was the the whole thesis of why I began this work in the first place is um, as a child, wondering where I came from and wondering how my family fit in the overall historical narrative of this country and in our home continent of Africa.
0: So Leonard, there was something that you wanted to that you were you were dying to say to him when we when we.
3: (laughs) Mr. Elon, uh, great to meet you. Thanks for coming on with us as I was sharing with Leon. One of the things I found striking, I'm reading your poetry. And the one reasons. You was talking about it struck me because I'm an adoptive father of three children, and so you're wondering where you're from, who you're from, and all that. Uh, as they told us to, you know, uh, judging on the child's uh, on their maturity, you tell them, you know, that you're that the kids are adopted, and what that means, that you're not their biological parent. Uh I'm reading, I'm reading that, and then it gets to what that is. Or actually, it was your poem foster. That's the one I was reading about the, you know, about kind of made me think of a foster child. And mm-hmm. and that one hit me because, you know, like I said, I'm a I'm an adoptive parent of
1: mm-hmm. three
3: children. Mm-hmm. And then so I I went to that from the from the poem you did about chicken and bell peppers
0: uh-huh.
3: about what type what cut of chicken goes with these bell peppers and you're <laughs> fixing the dinner mm-hmm. and I'm like okay so I know this is a metaphor for something as okay. a lot of poets are they 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 write. And they go through things like that for metaphor, like your poem, Marigold, I was reading.
2: Uh-huh.
3: And I'm like, I'm waiting for the metaphor. And it's like, no, it only talked about, it was a show poem about bell peppers and chicken. I know this <laughs> because chicken's my favorite food in the world. OK. And I slice bell peppers and onions and stuff to make. Uh, I do less cooking these days with my 13-year-old daughter and son Do most of the cooking. But I was just like, man, he gets me to thinking, okay, I'm going to read a metaphor. And then you hit me with the for real, the real. And I'm like, okay, I felt like I was being battered around by you like a ping pong ball on the ping pong table.
2: Okay. I don't know what to apologize
3: for that or what. No. No, I think it was good. I think it was like growing up, mm-hmm. I would I would always read poems that were rhyme. The mm-hmm. second and the third line, rhyme, rhyme mm-hmm. or the second and the fourth line, the third and the fifth. Mm-hmm. And it was just as getting older, I had to learn to read like you were writing. Mm-hmm. No need to apologize for that. I mean. Everybody got different writing styles and I'm a, I'm a mystery buff when I used to read a lot. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at the whole thing, you, you put me in the mind of a mystery. It's like, okay, I don't know where I'm going. So let me keep (laughs) reading to see where he's going to take me next. So
0: how, Mm -hmm. so how does, how, how, when you write, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you anticipate the reader's experience? Um, about
2: your writing? It's a great question. Um, I have to learn to trust the reader because a lot of times, you know, I was also taught to, know, the poems rhyme. I went to a performing arts middle school and um, poems had to rhyme, right? In order for them to be poems. But as I got older, I learned that most poetry Well, more of the poetry that I liked was free verse, and it was more prose than than rhyme. And so they told stories. So, uh, the bell peppers poem, for example, is literally about going shopping with my beloved, with my wife. You know, it's literally about trying to find dinner, right? Um, And so, to your point, yes, it's about cooking, but it's also about, you know, making it work. It's also about, Um, finding a balance in life with your significant other, right? Um, The poem Foster that you mentioned, that was one of the first poems I wrote for this collection. And the reason I wrote that poem was because, first of all, let me say, I believe every child needs a parent, needs a set of parents. Whether that means that black Black children get adopted by white families or vice versa, they need parents. But conversely, I believe those black children need to know who they are and where they come from. And so I wrote that poem after seeing many white families adopting these black babies. And, and I wonder how they teach those children about the society in which they live, in which many white people harm black people or try to you know, um, keep their histories from them. And so of wrote Foster as a way of, you know, just acknowledging the fact that, yeah, who teaches these black babies about who they are, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's where that came from. So to your point, you know, a lot of my work is both metaphoric and literal, you know, it's something that you can read as a poem on its own. Or if you pick up my collection, you know, it tells a story overall.
0: So, how long did it take you to to, um, finish your your book of poetry? Uh,
2: This is a culmination of um, about three and a half years of work. Um, A lot of it, um, mainly a a lot of it was my manuscript that I wrote when I was in the Masters of Fine Arts program at UM St. Louis. Um, But a lot of poems came after that, you know. Um, So the core of the book Came while I was doing my my, my graduate work, um, but some some of the other poems came um, much much later.
0: So if 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 someone, so if someone was had had not been introduced to your poetry and and they picked up this book, what would you direct? What poems would you direct them to first to get a, a to get a better feel for it? your writing for you, for where you're coming from, what you're putting forward to them?
2: Absolutely, the great question, Leon. I would direct them firstly to reason, um, for a few reasons, <laughs> point, intended. point intended. One, <laughs> one. you know, this whole book is about my search for my, my my ancestral identity, you know, so reason is meant to look like Africa for a reason. Um, But it's also meant to look like a question mark for a reason, because a lot of people within the African-American community or even in the African diaspora, you know, a lot of us don't know who we are, you know, as far as our, our African selves. And so there's a question that, you know, a lot of us grapple with throughout, throughout life. And I wanted to answer that question early in my life so that I can live the remaining years that God is going to give me knowing who I am. So reason would be, um, a poem that I would encourage people to start with, you know, and then I would also go with, um, I mean, really and truly, you can read any one of these to get to get a sense of who I am as a person. Um, But I would also read When Quiet Black is another poem. Um, I was taking a, um, a cruise on the Atlantic Ocean, and I wrote that poem while I was literally above the bones of our ancestors. And so it's just something about being a person of color. You have these reminders of, where, of who we are all around us. And I wanted to paint pictures of those reminders. And so I think if a person just flips through and find different things that speak to them personally, they'll get to know me on a personal level. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I kind of, so <clears throat> so when I picked up the book, And I started reading Uh, because it was so different than what I'm accustomed to. um, My first reaction was confusion. And it was, you know, um, it took I put the book down, picked it back up because, you know, I'm I'm doing the show and I need to be aware of or I'd like to be aware of you know, what I'm, I'm trying to talk about. And so <clears throat> my thought was, um, for people who, who aren't uh, big poetry people like myself, um, the way to uh, grow in something, because I feel like I have grown and definitely having talked to you now, I feel, I feel much that I, I better understand but but because I I forced myself to read before, now I can look at it in a different way and feel like I'm going to get more out of it. Because my anticipation. So so because I started with the anticipation of rhyming poetry. Um, I didn't. I wasn't getting enough out of it. But now understanding that difference, I can look at it differently and get more out of it. And so, Mm -hmm. so my questions to you about um, where somebody would start is, you know, I'm assuming that there are other people who see poetry and think that I the way I thought, and they're Mm going to get you know more out of it if they are you know get. So education or exposed to
3: mm-hmm.
0: something different and, and how mm-hmm. to, you know. So if you want to jump in, you can jump in at any time.
2: Oh, of course. You know, poetry is one of those art forms that is subjective. Much like music, people have different musical tastes. Some people like classical music. Some people like certain classical composers. Some people like opera. Some people like different operatic singers some people like rap music but some people like a different you know certain types of rap certain types of rappers Mm -hmm. so poetry is like that poetry is very fluid you'll have some people who i have a buddy of mine um um he writes specifically in haiku that's all he writes is haiku which is a japanese form where it's um it's a syllable count of 21 syllables right it's um it's a type of poem that is very, very short, but it's very powerful, but that's all he writes. And that's fine. There's some people who write sonnets. There's some people who write, you know, villanelles or a few villanelles in my in my book. Um, And so it it really depends on the the, the particular taste of the reader as to what they're going to latch on to. But primarily before any of that, any writer writes for themselves first. And so I'm not writing for you, I'm writing for myself. And mm-hmm. so what you read are reflections of myself that I found um, important enough to put in my collection. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because one of the questions that I had was, um, who was, your, you know, who was your, your art directed to? Who were you writing to? And that was was definitely Mm -hmm. one of the questions. I'm going to put back up the book cover uh, so that uh, anyone who um, wants to go out and find shrimp, uh, it is on Amazon, if I remember correctly.
2: It is. It says Amazon. It's at Left Bank Bookstore here in St. Louis. Um, You can also find it on my website, which I'm sure we'll get to later.
0: Oh, you Um, you can list your website right now.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, my website is jvasserelong.com. So J-V-A-S-S-E-R-E-L-O-N-G.com. Um, so you can find it there. You can find it at Two Leap Press at their website. Um, you can find it at Amazon, of course, but you can also find it in a local bookstore here in St. Louis, Left Bank Books in the Central West End.
0: Very good. So, you know, if, if somebody wants to <clears throat> Look up uh, Jason's book while we're on the on the line, and, and pick up a copy. I would encourage you to um, just for the uh, the growth experience, because I I can say it, honestly, um, this has been an experience for me. Um. So the uh, did I ask you about your favorites in the book? I mean, I know they're all your babies. You I did know not no. They're they're all your babies, yeah. <laughs> but do you, do you have a favorite child here?
2: <laughs> I have a few favorite children. Yes. Okay. Um, one of my favorite children is ethnographic Studies, short people in a circle. That's one. Oh, of my I am so
0: glad you brought that yeah. one up. <laughs> oh,
2: go, go ahead. You you
0: finish answering. I definitely have questions about that one. So
2: that's... That's one of my very, very favorite books. And this one of the ones that came later. Uh, that one was not part of the original collection. Uh, but that's definitely one of my faves. What questions did you have about that one?
0: Okay, so um, so I had to read this one twice. Um, so, so let me say this. When I was reading some of the poems, I felt like, you left things to my imagination. You left things for me. So you 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 left a marker for me to head in a direction. But you didn't fill in all the steps in between. Mm-hmm. You, you went where you were going to go, and I had to find my way through and understand what you were saying. hmm So in this one, I I read it twice. And so the first time through, I missed Pygmy. Okay. And, and so it did not make sense. I was trying to wonder who the short people were. Mm -hmm. Um, so you got all these short people in a circle and you're describing, uh, things, you know, little jungles in itsy bitsy countries and I'm I'm mm-hmm. like I'm lost. And so mm-hmm. I go back through I I see the pygmies and it makes a little better sense. Mhm. But there's still a lot of things that you leave me to find out on my own. Is that? Mhm. Is that you know, is that intentional? Is that just the way you write?
2: That's intentional. That's intentional. You know, um Leon, I've That poem is something, again, you know, writers write for themselves most of the time. And as an anthropologist, one of the things we do is is ethnography, which is to study, you know, a group of people and to write about those groups of people. And so um, part of the reason why the book is entitled Shrimp is because I myself am short. I'm shorter than, you know, your average African-American male. And, um, I was always reminded of that growing up, even as an adult, people make references to my height, people talk down to me literally and figuratively. Um, and they, you know, in some cases they speak from a position of privilege that they are, you know, five, seven or six foot or what have you. And the fact that I'm 4'11 is an issue for folks. And so I wanted to just shine a light on what it's like to be little, what it's like to be talk down to, you know, what what I feel when, you know, people observe me as something being wrong with me, you know, for being, you know, short. And so that's why I wrote that 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 poem. A, I think there's a bit of humor in it, um, but also there's a sadness there that is the unfortunate um realization that I have to walk with, that many people that are shorter than average have to walk with and carry with them.
1: So did you? I have a question. Go ahead.
0: Excellent. I was going to say, you know, you guys speak you up. I was dominating the conversation.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I don't have a book, but uh, first of all, thanks for coming on and and sharing with us. I was able to read uh, one poem that uh, Leon had copied. He copied a few of them, and I saw. I thought this one was kind of interesting. It's African doll. So yeah. I'll talk about that a little bit. First of all. Uh, when I looked at it, you know, I saw Ken doll, so I, I could see where it was coming from. And the first thing that came to my mind was, is this about a relationship? Because when there's a Ken, there's usually a Barbie or something like that. And mm-hmm. I was trying to see where it was going. But, um... I'm wondering, uh, what were you thinking with, with, with Ken is he representing uh, a person or are you just speaking in generalities about how, uh, what dials represent?
2: Good question. I'm speaking in general of how people of color, we smile, even when we're hurting, no matter what our society, you know, puts in front of us, we manage to be a fixture of positivity, And when I look at a Ken doll, you can throw a Ken doll, you can take an arm off of the Ken doll, but it will continually smile at you. And for a lot of the years that we've been oppressed, yes, we've been angry, but we haven't been angry to the point where we lash out the way people lash out at us, even though we have every reasoning to do so. And so it's really a reminder that though society thinks one thing of us, we continue to smile and we continue to just bring joy to each other and to people who come in contact with us like a kind
1: Okay. Good.
0: So, um, is your, is your poetry performative?
2: It is. Yes. Um, all of the poems in my collection uh, can be you know, read at a poetry reading or they can be recited at a, at a, um, an open mic or a spoken word event. Um, all of my poems, I would think, uh, live on the page, but as well as on a stage that can be performed um, by myself or someone who would like to read them in my stead, either way.
1: I would love to hear some uh, spoken word from some of your stuff. I bet you do that pretty well.
2: Absolutely, did you have any, You know, did you want me to read African Doll or did you want me to read Ethnographic Studies Short People in the Circle? Uh, do one you like. Do one that I like. Okay.
0: I only. only Let's do. Oh, I'm sorry.
2: No, go ahead, Leon. No, no,
0: I I only put so so. I only put up uh, like I think four poems for them so that they could get a feel for your poetry. Okay. So they don't they don't have uh, uh, I didn't um, you know, put up a a uh, contents of the book so they don't know what, what poems you have. Uh, like I said, and, okay, uh, he was only able to see one or two. So
1: it doesn't okay. matter, though.
3: Yeah, I okay. Just hear. Awesome.
1: He's awesome. a
3: good. He's he was a good salesman for you. He put up just enough to whet our appetite, make <laughs> us want to go buy the book and and read some more. Yeah, I'm definitely
2: awesome. in the
1: book. I'm I'll, get I'll the book.
2: That's awesome. I appreciate that, fellas. I'm gonna read Ethnographic Study, Short People in the Circle, since we've been talking about that one. And I wanna, okay. you know, I want to dedicate this poem to any person listening who's different, you know, who society has said they are less than who they should be because of who they are. And so this is my experience: Ethnographic study, short people in the circle. Every once in a while, you'll find a group of short people in a circle talking about the fires. have burned down their tiny houses. How the smoke filled the little lungs with dollops of gray smoke and the miniature pinchers have gone without pro plan for breeds 10 pounds and under. They cry little bitty tears and are so small they could barely qualify as tears at all. Rather an idea that their lives are always like this. That they live for booster seats and ladders litter their living rooms filled with small portraits and little flat screen TVs. And of course they are descendants of pygmies that lived under leaves and little jungles and itsy bitsy countries where they drive tiny cars that can be picked up with one hand. Where even when they stand, they are barely even seen. Everything of theirs is small. They have little dreams and baby nightmares and wake up to tiny screams, but no one can hear them because they are so tiny. And cute and are novelties. And their names are abbreviated like adjectives, like little before J, or given superlatives like little bit. And they pay little bills and have little thrills in small cities where they live, nearly hidden, and where they are seldom, if not almost always, overlooked.
1: All right. Mm.
0: Good, yeah, that mm-hmm. that was one that, like I said, um, caught me and I had to, to read it twice. Um,
3: do you a question that I have? Oh, I'm sorry, so no, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, you had mentioned Gabrielle Davis earlier that mm-hmm. she was a publisher, she, the owner of the Two Leaf Press that is on your book,
2: yes, Gabrielle David, uh huh, Gabrielle David, yes, okay. sir, yes, sir. She is the owner of uh, the the uh, editor of Two Leaf Press, which is a uh, uh, out of New York.
3: Okay.
0: So I know a number of the pieces have um, um, a subtitle of like for. This person or mm-hmm. for that person. Um. Yeah. So so tell me about that.
2: So those are what's called um like an honorarium. You know, they're uh in, in honor of someone or for someone. Um like uh Marigold is from my aunt Val, who passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but we're both born in October, and Marigolds happened to be the official flower for October. And so I wrote that literally for her you know or um, becoming men is for my best friend jamar um you know we grew up our parents are friends and so we grew up as brothers our families are are connected and so um that particular poem is literally for my brother for jamar so it it goes like that those are you know gifts that a writer can give to people in their life that uh, that mean something to them so
0: i i the way i initially So I understood that you were writing the poem for someone. So my initial take on it was, this was a poem to that individual, and I was an observer. Mm -hmm. So I had to look at it through the eye of an observer. And because I didn't know those individuals, it took a special way to connect with that poem. Mm -hmm. So, so... Do you consider that when you add the honorarium or, again, you're just writing a poem for you and then I, as the observer, have to connect with it the best way I know how?
2: That's exactly how it goes, Leon. Uh, and then and again, there's different ways to do it. You know, people have written poems for, say, Dr. King. Everyone knows who, doc, knows who Dr. King is. You know, so the poem for Dr. King would reference things like, you know, the bus boycotts and SNCC and other things. So it's not really as personal as it would be for someone who knew him intimately. Right. And so those poems that are, you know, are for someone are for someone that the, the writer knew intimately and really it's for them, you know, when, when Jamar, you know, bought my book or when my, my aunt, if she had the pleasure um, of buying my book, you know, she would open it and see that she's in there. She's a part of this story. And that's really what it's about. It's about acknowledging people in your life um, that have become part of your story.
0: Okay. So you, um, you sent me along some pictures. So before I get to the pictures, well, you tell me. Um, when we talked, uh, you uh, told me about your journey, um, about your heritage and mm-hmm. where you came from. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm think, I'm you know I'm speaking of um, you know, uh, what part of Africa and, and that. And so I didn't know if you wanted to show the pictures first and then describe the story sure. or show or describe sure. the story. Okay. so let's let, yeah, I'll, I will put up this picture. Okay, and so this is?
2: So um, these are um, garments from Cameroon, traditional garments that are worn in Cameroon, which is a country in the center of Africa. Uh, Cameroon is known as Africa in miniature because any climate that you can find in Africa, you find in Cameroon. And so um, after I, I traced my ancestry, I was given garments by many dignitaries, uh, from Cameroon. That, that's one of the garments um, that I was given. And that's what you call togu. It's a togu form of, of, of attire, um, both the, the crown, uh, the uh, the garment, and then the, the necklace itself is something that's also uh, indicative of the Bamaleke people, specifically, um, where my, my ancestors, who my ancestors are, hence who I am. Um, that's where those garments come from. This is, uh, um, actually, I was curating an art exhibit, Global Cultures, and this particular shirt, that's uh, for the Bameleke people. And so uh, the first garment you saw was a a traditional Cameroonian attire. This particular garment is traditionally Bameleke. And so the Bameleke people in Cameroon wear this particular garment. Each ethnic group in Africa has... Um, something that they wear to, to signify them as who they are. And so this would be that for the Bamaleke. And also the necklace there that I'm wearing is of the Bamaleke people in Cameroon. And so I bought that from uh, a, a actual shop here in St. Louis. I bought that garment. And it was interesting because, you know, when you, a lot of you, you brothers are older than me, so you can attest to this. In the 70s, that's when a lot of people started changing their names to African names and they would wear African garments. And so um, there's a certain pride that you have to, to wear an African garment, to, to find something like, oh, I want to wear that, right? Well, imagine how it is when you learn about your ancestry and what they wear and I'm driving down the street and I see this you know, at a market, I'm like, that's what my people wear. I, I, I was able to spot that particular pattern and that garment and I say, my people wear that. I got to get that shirt, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was what happened. I was in uh, South St. Louis and uh, I saw that garment and I said, my people wear that. And I, I had to go get it. I had to go get it because I knew what it. Sure. So
1: how, how hard was it to trace those roots back to Cameroon?
2: It wasn't hard at all. Um, I used another Black-owned company, African Ancestry, which is based in D.C., uh, it's owned by Dr. Uh, Gina Page. She's the co-owner, Gina Page. Um, where they do DNA analysis, they use uh, mitochondrial DNA from your, your, you know, your mother's side of the family to trace you, and they have a database so they can use that, 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 that data to put you in um, a modern-day ethnic group. You know, it's a sequence, and so say your sequence is X Y Z, where well, they can match, they can find who has the same sequence in. Africa, and that hence is who you are, because you share the same genetic sequence. Does that make sense? And so I used uh, African ancestry for both my paternal DNA analysis and my maternal DNA analysis. The maternal is what came back, the Bumaleket from Cameroon. Uh, the paternal, my father's side, came back Portugal, Spain, the Netherlands, and Britain. So uh,
1: yeah, that, that's that makes sense.
0: So so, there was a couple of pictures, but I thought thought this would be a great um, time to talk about um, so you shared with me uh, how you got into uh, tracing your ancestry and how your name uh, became your last name became what it is uh are you willing to share that now
2: absolutely absolutely um so I I'm a member of the oldest and coldest African-American fraternity, um, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And some years ago, I believe it was back in 2010, the the fraternity was doing a, um, they were marketing to help other black businesses. And so one of the black businesses that were marketing was African ancestry. And they had brothers like Dick Gregory and others who had traced their ancestries to different parts of Africa. And so they were encouraging members of the fraternity to do the same. And so through Alpha, I was able to connect with African ancestry and thus find my roots. We have a slogan in Alpha that goes, respect your roots. And so uh, we wanted to, I wanted to do just that and find out who I was. And I have to thank Alpha uh, for, for, for helping me to do that. And so um, I took the DNA analysis test firstly on my father's side. And then a few years later, I did it on my mother's side and once i learned that my ancestry was uh, was you know from bamaleke i wanted to learn more about the bamaleke people and so they have a blog and, and on african ancestry and so i went on there and i wanted to reach out to people who lived in the country who were from that culture to learn about you know uh, the, the culture so i met a young man by the name of boris gifo his father happened to be a chief in cameroon well anyway boris and i had been exchanging emails and then we eventually exchanged phone numbers. And he was telling me about his experience. I was telling him about my experience and we connected. He was teaching me uh, the local language. He was teaching me just any and everything a person of color would want to know about their ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. And I was teaching him everything he wanted to know about his African-American cousins across the water. Um, And so that was a a very meaningful relationship that still exists to this day. His father um, was writing a book at the time on Bamaleke culture. And through my dealings with Boris, he learned that I had a degree in English and his father needed an editor. And so I then edited his book, um, Bamaleke culture, well, Bamaleke traditions, it's all about globalization in the Bamaleke culture. And so anyway, um, I edited his book and, uh, he actually flew in from Cameroon to perform a coconut ceremony at my wedding. Um, we've been friends, we've been family ever since. Well, after I got my name, um, after I traced my ancestry, I also learned about Roots to Glory Tours. So Roots to Glory Tours is another African-American based company out of DC where they actually perform the naming ceremonies. And so, um, I made arrangements to get my, my name, uh, ceremony done. And it was in Silver Spring, Maryland, where they have a large Cameroonian population. Um, so I flew there to get my name and, um, I actually went through the the court system here in St. Louis to hyphenate my name, so I do respect my family, but also respect my ancestors. And so I went through the legal process of changing my name to, to reflect my African heritage. And so instead of now just Vassar, it's now Vassar hyphen Elong, uh, to 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 respect that heritage. Wow.
0: Yeah. yeah. See, I, I, I was when he told me that story, I was just floored. I mean, um, yeah. so, so I've seen on the nightly news on, uh, you know, someone who's traced their heritage and, and done those things, but to actually, uh, talk to someone who's, who's made that journey, who's actually, you know, been that committed to their heritage, uh, and to actually you know, shake his hand because, um, Jason and I have, have, uh, Met face to face, and, and I'm, I'm really proud of that. Um, so I'm gonna pull up this last couple of pictures, and sure. I think one of them um, is about that uh, journey that you uh, you just talked about.
2: Yes, so these are some dignitaries. A lot of these men and uh, and women are chiefs in Cameroon, and I don't know if your brother can see this down uh, below. Um, but the, uh, all these people took part in, in reintroducing me to our Bamaleke culture. Um, and if you can see, there's a woman down there in an orange garment. If you see the person down with the red, uh, garment, the red head dressed at the far end, Mm -hmm. right next to that person is, um, a woman by name of queen, um, well, princess precious. So she actually gave me my name, and I'm gonna tell you how that went. So after I uh, traced my ancestry and uh, learned about Rooster Glory Tours, um, I then joined the Cameroon American Council, and which is um, in collaboration with the Cameroon Royal Council, who these people here represent, they were putting on a fundraiser, they are putting on an event. And so uh, Princess uh, Patience gave me a call And she wanted to, you know, to know if I would donate anything to to help them to raise funds. And it was one of those situations where I didn't know if I would ever see this person in real life. And so I said, sure. I gave some money um, and actually donated $100. I'm, I'm proud to say that I did that just out of the strength, the sheer joy of knowing who I was and where I came from and having the ability to give to a worthy cause. So I gave $100, thinking I was going to be the last time I would speak to this, this woman, right? Mm-hmm. And so I get to Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, a few months later, and uh, and I'm at the, uh, in Cameroon, they call the Chief Fawn, F-O-N. And so I'm at the Fawn's uh, Palace in Silver Spring, and people are coming up to me and introducing themselves. And that woman walked up to me. She says, hi, my name is Princess Patience. What's your name? I told her my name is Jason Vassar, and she, we should be both were in tears because I was the woman I had spoke to months prior when I gave the donation. So she then said, oh, this was the, the young man who gave us all that money, and da 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 um, And so she, apparently, she's a woman who actually picked my name, Elon, for me. Mm. Um, and that was such a special connection, and she and I, too, are in contact even to this day. Um, well, I, I can call her right now. she said, say, Elon, how you doing? And no matter what she's doing, she'll stop what she's doing to take my call. And so it's just been such a worthwhile uh, adventure for me thus far. Oh, excellent.
1: So what does Elon mean? Elon
2: uh, means, in short, it means the, the perfection. Um, but the long definition is elong are affectionate and have a bright and sunny disposition. They are kind, considerate, and they are happy even in difficult times. So,
0: brother. <laughs>
2: thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, and, and when I get in these hard times, like now dealing with COVID, you know, I remind myself of who I am. You know, first I'm a child of God, but I'm also, you know, I'm supposed to be happy even in difficult times. And so those little
1: things kind of help get me through
2: when I'm when I'm having a challenge.
1: Yeah, we got a couple things in common. Uh, my mother was born in Mar- uh, Marigold, and we were both, herself, myself, born in October. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
2: So uh, when's your birthday? 31st. Oh, that's a good one. I'm the 18th.
1: <laughs> okay. So, so hers was just 20th. so everybody
2: knows,
0: my brother Leonard um, has conjunctive heart failure, and the, uh, his blood pressure will change on him. And so he'll he'll fall asleep sometimes, um, okay. And that's okay, yeah. Um, okay. I I wouldn't I would not trade him for the world. Um, you know, I I was here when he came into the world, and and as long as I'm here, he's I got his back. So he's okay, All right? Um, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, so just I mean I'm not trying to make excuses or anything, but that's just. That's where he is, and he oh, he tries yeah, he works hard.
2: Okay.
0: he works hard. He, he, you know, so
2: I was thinking he didn't like poetry or something.
1: Nah, nah. Nah.
0: In fact, he loves <laughs> poetry. <laughs> uh,
1: this is a great interview, and uh, like I said, I really want to get the book, and I love to have an autograph copy, but I don't know uh, how difficult. I think
2: we can make that happen. We can definitely right. make that happen.
1: Definitely. Okay, we'll be in touch.
2: So this is me and a few of what we would call fawns. The gentleman to my immediate right, well, you see Princess Patience is right behind me there. Um, But the brother next to me, his name is now Maka. He and I got our names together at the same time. We went through the naming ceremony together. And uh, the brother next to him, his name is Dominique. He's a chief. And I can't remember the gentleman's name next to Dominique, but they're all... Uh, uh, dignitaries in Cameroon who who flew in for this particular ceremony that took place
1: wow wow what a connection absolutely absolutely and so you
2: had a question about this uh, my my mug here Leon
0: no no I just wanted to show your mug because I thought it was great I appreciate that I I I thought it was a great mug you want to read it for me
2: yeah, yeah. This is a quote. Um, this is a, a, a platform that Tule Press is now uh, pushing. Called "Reading is Good for You," and they selected a few authors to uh, to have quotes on their on their uh, works. And so, I have a mug now. I have T-shirts now that people can buy to uh, pro- to support me and promote the press. Um, and so, my quote here is: uh, "Reading, like an artifact found in the dirt, is a treasure in and of itself." And it has my name in the title of my book there um so that that's my mug <laughs> this is a, a photo of me uh soon after shrimp was published uh this was taken by um augie genewine of of um st louis and this was taken in the central west end
0: very good so i'm gonna show the, the cover in the back of the book um, now, does it come in hardback I, I i know that you got paperback does it come in hardback
2: well it comes in paperback and it comes in an ebook form and oh. so on my website or even on amazon um you can buy it for your kindle
0: oh very good very good okay so um just for uh full disclosure um Brother, brother Vasser e. is uh, a fret brother. I am an alpha also. I don't tend to to um, use that on the show. Um, I'd like to. Um, so, um, the, one of the things that um, I appreciate is that uh, my computer went down, and I had. No way to continue to do my podcast, and my frat brother uh, donated a, a laptop. Um, he had never seen me a day in his life. Um, having him on the show was not because of the laptop, but because I truly uh, he had something that I thought um, people would connect with. And um, so, so, the reason that I do this podcast is so that people have information that helps them make better decisions. And so I appreciate him coming on today and sharing with us his story about his life's journey, uh sharing with us his poetry and um, I understand that you are a professor
2: I am I am I do teach at Harrisville uh, State University and uh, Webster University and teach english
0: very great good. okay so i am I am believing that. There's more poetry in you, uh, and there's more more great things to come, and hopefully we will be able to have you back uh, and and talk about your experiences, and I really do appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, Leon. I thank you so much for giving me a platform. I thank you so much for what you're doing in the community and for taking the time out of your weekend to, to talk to me for a little bit.
0: Leonard,
3: uh, Warren, you got anything else? Uh, Thanks for no, coming no. down and sitting with <laughs> us and yeah. explaining how this poetry writing process works a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure, man. Really longing to uh, do uh, some um, ancestry research. And I did run across that African ancestry a while back. Uh, I never really looked deeper into it, but it I think they were on a podcast talking about it. And uh, that sounds like a way to go because you can only go so far with uh, Ancestry.com, you know, if you're black, cause those records yeah. just, you know, <laughs> they aren't there yeah. unless yeah. you got money that Gates has <laughs> right? in a bank. Right. <laughs> so there was- and, You know, and
2: I'll say that, you know, African Ancestry is they, they also are black owned business. Yeah. The absolutely. scientists, The scientists that do all the research are black, you know, and um, part of the reason why I studied anthropology in the first place was because I knew one day I was going to have to look at my DNA analysis and I wanted to know that they knew what they were talking about. So I even devoted my education to learning about who I was and where I came from to to the extent that when I got my results back, I wanted to be able to read that analysis as an anthropologist and say, okay, they know what they're doing.
1: All right, great.
0: Uh, I want to say thank you, Cherry, for joining us. cherry is uh, she's she's watching in, and I appreciate
1: it my wife. that's Warren's wife. <laughs> oh,
2: thank you for being there.
0: And I do have one last question before I let you go, and I close the show. Um, so we've talked a lot about black do you, I know I'm sure you have uh, white um, uh, consumers. Um, Mm -hmm. have you gotten any feedback from your, your white consumers?
2: I have, and it's been all appreciative of the fact that I'm honest in my work. Um, a lot of them, um, a lot of them are just very eager to learn about what it's like to be black. And my book is a good one in that, like other books, Not just mine, but a lot of authors, even back in days of slavery, we had authors, Black authors that were writing poetry about their lives. And so we're in a day and time now where people just want answers and they want to understand. And so I think my book is one of the many that helps people understand the perspective of at least one person when it comes to um, learning about colonization and slavery and identity and how all of that stuff fits um, into the larger historical narrative.
0: Okay, so I'm going to show the book cover one more time, and I'm going to ask you to. So you can get it on um, Amazon, but I'm going to ask you to, you know, give your um, information about where to get the where to get the book, and if they wanted to contact you, how they would be able to contact you.
2: Absolutely. So my book can be purchased at my website, jvasserelong.com, spelled J-V as in Victor, A-S-S-E-R-E-L-O-N-G.com. It can also be purchased at Left Bank Bookstore here in St. Louis. Um, it can actually also be purchased at the Griot Museum of Black History and Culture here in St. Louis. Um, of course, Amazon. And um, I believe you can get it from my publisher's website as well to leafpress.com as well as the University of Chicago Press.
0: Thank you very much. Have a great rest of the weekend.
1: Take care. Uh, Thank you. you. Nice
0: meeting you. That concludes this episode of Altitude Adjustment. And thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and twitch.tv and is designed for listener interaction visit the website the forward slash home to join the discussion the audio version of altitude adjustment is available where you get your podcasts including stitcher.com the itunes store and the google play music store to name a few remember that the internet is powered by your likes shares and comments so please like Share and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. And as always, look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.